Hello, and welcome to the TribeShift podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hurley. My guest today is P.A. Morand. P.A. is a Dublin-based chronic back pain coach trained in physical therapy, psychology, functional neurology, and human movement. After dealing with his own chronic pains for 15 years, he now specializes in understanding pain in the greater context of our lives and how our identity, habits, and beliefs are at the core of most chronic pain issues. His ultimate goal is to empower chronic pain sufferers through education and guide them to a life without pain. Welcome to the show, PA. Hi, Paul. How are you? Now, could you explain a little bit about your own journey? I mentioned in the intro that you suffered chronic pain for 15 years. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience with pain and what led you to doing what you do now? Yeah, so, I mean, it goes quite far back. Uh, When I was eight or nine, I had Lyme's disease which is comes from a tick bite. And it's um, basically I had arthritic symptoms. It's quite a severe issue that isn't, it wasn't really common at the time. They, they diagnose it more readily now. And I basically had the guts of four years of treatment in and out. And I had arthritic symptoms in my left ankle. And after four years of that, I had a leg, my left leg that was half the size of my right leg because I was shifting my weight off it and for the next 10 or so years it was adaptations other health issues mostly musculoskeletal and I sort of got to a point where I did all the traditional stuff I'd go to the hospital go to the doctor no answers I'd try the more alternative things osteopathy physio uh, chiropractic acupuncture nutrition and still no real answers. So I got to a point where I decided I was going to become a physical therapist myself. It was on a bit of a whim. And I was studying psychology at the time. And I then did the two courses. And it was a bit hectic. And I became a physical therapist. And my journey continued. I studied yeah, psychology, neurology, physical therapy, nutrition. And it was a lot of trial and error. And a lot of going through what people go through. And coming out at the end with what seems to be an uncommon approach to chronic pain. Um, Yeah, so so it's just learning through experience and experience guiding my study and getting to a point where what I'm doing now is very different from what most people I know are doing. So was it very much a personal journey before a professional journey? Yeah, yeah. Essentially, you were searching for your own answers, and then the answers that you've acquired, you're now passing on to others. Exactly, because I was I was looking into this stuff for my own condition, and I got to a point where I became interested in it, and it became something that I wanted to study. So it made sense to pursue it formally. I think that's the best option, though, isn't it? Because a lot of people mm-hmm. pursue a professional journey, and often the impression I get is that. They're, once they have that mindset, they're more concerned about what will get them more clients and what will make them more money. They're they're attached to the answer and not, not willing to change it because they've invested so many years into this being the right way. Whereas someone like yourself is only interested in the truth and what works and what alleviates your pain and mm. is therefore in a stronger position to pass it on to your clients who know that mm. it's worked for you. Absolutely. And it has it has been a challenge because I'll, I'll pretty much... I'll. I'll believe one thing because that's the available information and then I'll kind of keep chipping away at it and I've I've struggled to stick to one thing 
which has been a good and bad thing. Bad in terms of, well, it's just challenging, you know, to settle into something, but good in terms of being confident about what I'm doing and knowing that I'm doing it for the right reasons. It makes you more authentic because you're attached to the truth as opposed mm. to staying in a career that you know is not the right way. Yeah. And passing it on to clients who are paying their hard-earned money. Yeah. And yeah. how does your method differ from the more conventional approach approaches to dealing with pain? So we're making a lot of progress in general. So this wouldn't be unique to me, but we're beginning to understand the role of the brain in pain. We're seeing that pain isn't isn't entirely a structural issue so it's not entirely about alignment of joints and the condition of joints and bones and that sort of thing it's very much tied into your overall stress levels your nutrition but where we seem to be now is in this idea that it's kind of it's a a whole host of things but we can't be too specific one thing I, I believe I'm onto, and I'm not the only one, I don't want to say I'm, I'm necessarily a pioneer or anything like that, but one thing that I believe we need to work towards and people are still slow to work, work towards is, is this idea that it boils down to our almost our personality and our identity because any pain issue I've seen, the cause of it is generally quite straightforward. If we ask the right questions, we can figure out where there's a deficit in the body, where the body is struggling when we consider the entirety of, of someone's life. Is it emotional support? Is it overall stress? Is it a job they hate? Is it poor biomechanics? Is it poor sleep pattern? And that sort of thing. And so we can figure that out and we can tell someone what to do and we can have the best of therapists and you know the best information, but then someone doesn't do it or they struggle to do it even though they know they should do it. And then we're looking at why would someone keep themselves where they are? Why would someone keep themselves stuck in a state of pain when they have, because we have more resources available to us than ever, more therapists, we've got more information, more knowledge. There's never been a better time, arguably, for being in pain in terms of available solutions. But I don't see a proportionate decrease in, in pain or a proportionate improvement in our health and that's I think because we're largely not really understanding who is the kind of person that stays stuck in a state of pain and there are a couple of reasons for that I think part, part of it is your identity your beliefs and those being sort of ingrained into you through experiences through your lifetime People can have there, there's there seems to be a typical personality type of the person who deals with chronic pain, particularly chronic back pain. And it's this person who is the caregiver. They put others ahead of themselves. They internalize things. They have perhaps a, a, they appear calm and collected on the outside, but may have a lot of internal turmoil that they might not even consider as turmoil because they just sort of internalize it naturally and that's that's their personality there's some interesting research into basically the classic personality of, of someone dealing with back pain and these things will go back to your childhood or whatever it is life experiences for example the role you adopt within a family i know speaking personally i 
kind of became a bit of a peacekeeper when there was strife. And I was always, as a child, always kind of teachers noted on how zen and calm I was. And people will notice that now, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going through things internally and I'm not naturally taking on other people's problems, we'll say. And so ending up in a therapeutic job was very natural to me, whether it be the psychotherapy, which was what I intended initially, or now physical therapy. This idea of helping people comes naturally to me and it comes naturally to a lot of people, but it can come at a cost. And I believe that's, we need to begin to consider that. And where do these beliefs come from? Do we believe we deserve to get better? And then, so that's that's the first level. Is that clear enough? Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the work of Virginia Satir and her work as in people adopt certain roles as in the, within mm. a, a family situations as someone who criticizes or blames. Then there's the one that takes everything on that looks to get a feeling of self by helping others. Yeah, I'm not so, familiar so with her, but I, I will have to look her up. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it, it all begins with the messages that you pick up early in life. I believe a lot of what people pick up from their parents always conditioned to be kind to others, to give to others, and often at the expense of giving to themselves. We're taught not to be selfish, as in being selfish is a bad thing. Yet yeah. when the moment you get in an airplane, it's like, okay, take the oxygen mask, take care of yourself so mm -hmm. first so you can take care of others. Whereas I believe a lot of people, they're just so conditioned from childhood to do this and operate, they're often not taking care of themselves. In Western medicine, we tend to treat the symptom we tend not to look at the root causes of it it's like mm. treat my back pain what do i take a tablet what happened to me as opposed to how did i make this happen in the first place yeah absolutely and there, there's certainly a culture of a culture with fitness now of almost punishing yourself I, I i believe it's it's on the verge of punishing yourself you need to earn your food you need to deserve the food you eat and there is this culture of you know basically struggle and you have to struggle and i'm not saying that you don't have to struggle or struggle isn't a part of life but i believe that that on top of the simple reality that most modern life environments are too stressful for us that we're not adapted for them that's sort of a cocktail for disaster and chronic stress and with chronic stress comes either pain or some sort of chronic health issue it all kind of boils out of the same internal circumstance and that, that's that's sort of the next thing that I that I believe that isn't being considered. So I think we need to consider more broadly who is the person because when you look into different therapies, you, you'll always find testimonials of someone who had a miraculous recovery. So you can do that with anything: acupuncture, chiropractic, physiotherapy, uh, Reiki healing, uh, distance healing. Someone in China heals you in Ireland. Whatever it is, there's always a testimonial of the ability of someone to heal and so we can do that but what about the times when it doesn't work and that's what i'm interested in I'm, I, I, you know because all sorts of things work because the body is one thing and it's it's so many different factors affected and, and your beliefs affect it but that doesn't help the person who's still struggling because they're the person who's tried all the stuff that's supposed to work and I believe that one thing that we're really missing is the internal physiology that sets the stage for all of this. So one thing I say repeatedly is that all therapies 
that have a positive outcome, they work because they offer the body something it is able to make use of. So your body needs to be able to receive what's being done to it and it needs to be able to grow from that. But if your body is in a chronic state of stress, anything you throw at it is going to be is going to represent change. It's going to represent a struggle. And if you don't have the physiological means to grow, then none of that's going to stick. And this boils down to simple maths, we could say. At, at, at its most basic level, it's do you have the building blocks to create change? And we understand this in, in sort of simple terms, like if you go to the gym, unless you're eating enough protein or whatever it is, or unless you're sleeping enough, your muscles aren't going to grow. But in the same way, you have maybe been living in pain for a long time, and your body, your body doesn't really want to be in pain. It's, it's always doing the best it can with what it has. And so it wants the best for you. And if, if you're in pain, that's because that's the best it can do with the information it has and with the resources that it has. So if we throw a chiropractic adjustment onto that, or if we throw you know, a foam roller onto that, or whatever it is, there's no guarantee that that's going to change because a lot of these things are actually stressful in and, in and of themselves, but the body needs to have the resources to take that stimulus as worthwhile, if that makes sense. It's funny that you say that because a lot of people I see a lot of stressed out corporates go to the gym and they're pushed like crazy and they're not mm. even aware. They think it helps them relax, but they're not aware that exercise in itself is a stress that the body mm. has to adapt to. So it's str they're coming out of work stressed out. They obviously get the endorphin release that exercise gives them, but they're putting a tremendous amount of stress, which yeah. affects their sleep. And then they're going into the corporate environment and get more and more stressed out. And then they wonder why they're completely burnt out. Yeah, I, I think part of it as well is that we don't necessarily have a reference point for what good feels like. So if you've been struggling for a long time, and usually it happens really gradually, so you just kind of take it as normal, something that's marginally better but not good can seem really good. So doing intense exercise, so a lot, a lot of popular things now, intermittent fasting, ketogenic diets, even cold exposure, intense exercise, people will always report that they feel great with these things. Or that's, that's the thing, you'll have the positive testimonials that will be shown to you and then you'll have the negative testimonials that get lost. So, you know, it always seems like these things are perfect and, and they're the cure to your problem. So there's always good and bad. I believe a lot of these largely why people, why people feel a benefit is either an, or a combination of adrenaline and cortisol release. And adrenaline can feel pretty good. If you've been in pain for a long time, if you've had a health issue for a long time, understanding what good feels like might be kind of an alien thing, or you might be way off the mark. And an adrenaline boost might feel like good energy. And unless you can discern between good energy from a healthy metabolism, so your ability to generate heat, from your food and, and produce energy for the entire body versus running on adrenaline. Those are two very distinct physiological events. So what's happening internally, those are two very different things, but they can both feel very good in different ways. But if you don't have that frame of reference, then you just think, well, I'm having a green smoothie every morning and I'm fasting for 16 hours and I feel great, but maybe you feel great because 
you're running on adrenaline because your body has no energy. So it's like I need to I need to release adrenaline to create energy. So I believe we're kind of way off the mark and people are so disconnected from their bodies and their health issues grow so gradually over time that they they're yeah, they're very disconnected and they don't really have a good frame of reference. And the challenge with that is that there's no you know, I can't give you the one supplement that cures that or the one exercise that cures that or even the one meditation that helps you reconnect. It's an active effort that you do every day and you may have to do for years. Well, ideally, you would do it for the rest of your life. With that in mind, are there any general guidelines that you could give anyone to connect themselves yeah. with the body? First of all, supposing that you're taking ownership, you've accepted that. That's a given. It's all very simple, actually. Simply taking time to notice things, whether that's putting a curfew on social media use, whether that's five minutes of introspection or breathing or meditation or whatever you want to call it, it's finding things that work for you. What works for me is I love doing visualizations. So I will I'll do things like I have a Pinterest board and I put pictures of places I want to go or things I want to have or food I want to eat even. <laughs> and I will look through those things and then I will do visualizations and I will see myself living through the things I want to do, see myself going on the hike I want to go on or basically whatever it is. So you find the thing that you enjoy and the find you find the thing that helps you feel your best and you simply observe, you think about things. So you can, one practical thing you can do with say a pain is you can lie down, relax, find a comfortable position, whether that's seated, standing, lying down, whatever it is, close your eyes and just think about the issue and see where your attention is drawn to. Or if it's an issue with your low back, try and shine a flashlight figuratively on your low back and see what comes up. See what you can observe. Is there a rhythm to the area? And these things will sound sort of abstract to someone who's very disconnected and doesn't have any practices with an internal focus, but they will become clear as, as you just sort of engage with it as you try it. So one example I use is it's this idea of social media. We have constant notifications. If we don't see the notifications, we can't act upon them. So our body is constantly giving us notifications of what it needs because it's constantly self-regulating and it wants to do the best it can. But if you can't act upon those notifications, those signals, then nothing's going to happen. Yeah, it's introspection, it's breathing, it's quiet time. It boils down to quiet time, I think. Time where you sit with yourself and you don't have any distractions. And if the idea of that sounds awful to you, then that could be a good indication that you really want to invest some time into that. Because unless you have a connection to yourself, you are a disengaged agent within your body and, and you're you're really operating two different things and there's poor communication between the two so you can't make good decisions about what your body needs but if you have a practice of every day listening and seeing how you feel and thinking different things and questioning different ideas then that that's just going to build up and, and you're going to have have issues so quiet time would be the first thing whether you want to call it meditation, whether it's a breathing practice, simply looking internally, listening to your breathing. The next thing would be journaling, uh, writing therapy, simply writing, writing about events, writing about a traumatic injury, writing about the events and 
surrounding your chronic pain, how your chronic pain has affected your life, or writing about your day, whether it's a good day, a bad day, a non-eventful day. Simply writing, you'll find that things come up and you'll make realizations. Would you include gratitude? Yeah, it does actually help you notice what is going for you and helps you notice positive things in your life, which is just going to give you more frame of reference and more awareness of what's going on. The next thing is sort of really the the, the main thing you, you need to address is the physiology that creates, I suppose, positive thoughts and creates good connections and creates clarity within the body. And that's adequate energy supply. And that's going to likely sound kind of counterintuitive to a lot of people where our culture is very much about restricting our diet and things like intermittent fasting and and cutting calories to reach a certain arbitrary weight. And I would say with that, the, the challenge with that is that we're not really using objective markers of health to guide our behaviors. We're saying, I want a six pack. We're not equating, we're, we're equating a six pack to health for whatever reason, but, but we can't, you know, confidently say that a six pack, that a six pack equals health. So we have this culture of restricting how much we eat, uh, obsessing over what we eat. And what that boils down to is you have a lack of energy and your body needs to do what it can with what it has it's going to be very hard to think positively or to think about the future and think about how you can change and creating actual change if you don't have energy to do that the argument against that would be from a fasting perspective as far as i believe that eating as the supplement industry would have you believe is the right thing to do six times a day would put a tremendous stress on the body because the body has to deal with digestion the food assimilate and so on the argument for fasting was that it gives the body a break and takes the stress off the body mm, yeah i mean we get, uh I'll, I'll i'll share my perspective and i will say this about nutrition is that it's such a complex issue and a lot of it as i believe you need to find what works for you but I want to make my case because I believe it's a case that's not really made often. Sure. So I think that people, the idea that digestion is stressful is dependent on what you're digesting. If you're digesting seeds and basically hard to digest food, so something like a seed, uh, you need a lot of effort to break, break down its structure versus breaking down ripe fruit. It's a different thing. And then you have all the reactions that occur because of that fibers that might be abrasive to the lining of the gut, which is going to release things like serotonin, your, which, which we can talk about as actually being a negative thing. And that's, that's part of the confusion. But then you're going to have things that feed good and bad bacteria. But when you're feeding the bad bacteria, that's going to cause certain reactions and release what's called endotoxin. And there's actually an argument to be made for why fasting seems beneficial is it because it's because you're alleviating yes you're alleviating the digestive burden but if you ate foods that didn't create a digestive burden you would be better off eating but most of our nutritional recommendations are based around foods that are actually that actually create a significant digestive burden because what we want is for our body to work hard to get energy because we want to limit our calories. We want to 
work hard to to extract things because we want to slow down the breakdown of food and it becomes a bit of a mess so you have things that appear to be good and it's not necessarily that they're good it's that they're slightly better or they're in the short run appear better now that's not to say that fasting won't have any benefits i I wouldn't say that i it's not for me i've tried it i don't think it makes any sense but if it works for you go for it but also i would say challenge yourself on that really try and disprove that belief and and that would be i think a governing rule with any health endeavor and health exploration is always try to disprove yourself and that's how i've gotten to to my point is that i did the keto paleo green smoothie intermittent fasting thing and i've moved away from that and i think it's ludicrous now but that's that's just me that's the point i've gotten to and that's not to say that i won't change and and maybe go back to it, but I, I'd say it's highly unlikely. Isn't it a matter of being attached to the actual results you're getting as opposed to being attached to the belief that it works? There can be both, absolutely. Yeah, th- part of the, so attached to the results is, is leanness a result that you want? So maybe it's a result that you want mentally, but is it is it good for your body? That's another thing. And that's tied into our culture of what we consider to be healthy Instagram models, you know, they, they appear to have nice looking bodies, but what's going on internally? Do they hate themselves? Do they need the validation of their social media? Do they have high levels of anxiety and so on? And I'm not saying they do or they don't, but we don't have those answers. All we're going by is a marketed, curated image that we associate with health. And again, that's not to say that the complete opposite is actual health. It's just that so much of what we base our decisions on in health are based on fairly arbitrary things and unless we challenge ourselves unless we constantly try and disprove what we're doing then we're, we're just going to be moving blindly through through so many random things with with no clear goal or with no clear benefit one of the things you were saying there you gave a metaphor of the body giving signals as in a little bit like notifications that we get on the likes of facebook just taking that literally, what do you think of the effect of the dopamine release that comes with getting notifications, getting emails, getting texts, that happening constantly throughout the day as people are on social media increasingly more and more? How does that affect stress and how does that have an effect on the physical pain that is generated? Yeah, so, I mean, it seems to act in a, in a fairly simple addiction mechanism albeit a mild addiction well maybe not mild but just sort of so gradual and pervasive that we accept it as normal i I think the the notification itself isn't a bad thing it's just what comes with it and social media is, is just a tool but if you're getting if you're posting things for validation if you're posting things to get that dopamine hit of the notifications and then you're going on and you're comparing yourself to everyone who appears to be better than you, who appears to to have everything figured out, and you know that you don't, that's going to lead to a lot of anxiety. But, I mean, if you have everything together, if you're doing great, and maybe if you're one of those more of an influencer, you know, you're the, the person who has made it, the person that people look up to, maybe it's not as bad. Um, it, it's very much a cont- contextual thing. What I would say is that as it relates to pain, anything that's going to increase 
your stress levels and anxiety are going to increase your susceptibility to pain. So there's no very, you know, you can't say anything specific like if you check Instagram three times a day and you get 20 notifications, you'll have X amount of pain. But it's all in this soup of stress and how your body is able to cope with it. So w one thing I, I like to use to represent this is that you have scales on one end, you have a stress bucket and then a health bucket on the other end and what way are the scales tipped is the stress bucket overflowing or do you have the health bucket nice and full do you have reserves in the tank do you have savings in your bank account in case of an emergency and so if you have your mental emotional social psychological structural side of life taken care of Social media isn't necessarily going to impact you that much, but it can be an extra stress in the bucket. So what if you have no real actual immediate circle of friends? You just have random followers that you don't interact with. Do you have no meaningful relationships? Do you sleep poorly because you're anxious? Do you have a bad diet because you're starving yourself to look like the person that you want to emulate? Um, do you have injuries on top of that? Do you have a bad childhood these are all just, you know, individual things and they go in the bucket, you know, in, in, in sort of simple terms. And what way do the scales tip? We can't really outsmart the, those basic biological principles. And that's why I like I like considering the, the physiology that underlies it. And that's something newer for me going into that a, a bit deeper is that your body works on fairly consistent processes and every single body does. And we need to consider those we need to keep that body happy because it, it's operating often on unconscious processes. Our stress reactions, our fight or flight responses are largely unconscious. It's not necessarily rational. We need to address that at a, at a base level because you can't outsmart it. Sure. Now, my final question for you, what advice would you give someone who's currently suffering from chronic back pain? Other than the general guidelines that you've given, what's the first thing that they should do? The first thing, so in terms of high payoff for pain relief right now, is harness your breathing. Learn to lengthen and shorten your diaphragm. Uh, and the way you do that is to be able to control the length of your inhalation, be able to pause, and to lengthen your exhalation. So if I were to say inhale over five seconds, pause for three seconds, exhale over eight seconds, that should come easily to you. And if that doesn't come easily to you and you've got back pain, make that a target for yourself. Right. Gain the ability through its practice, its practice of breathing, its practice of relaxation, uh, practice the ability to inhale slowly. So say, I'm going to inhale over three seconds, master that. Then inhale over five seconds, master that. And a nice, gradual, even inhalation. And then build it up to being able to inhale over 10 seconds and have a nice natural pause and then exhaling over 10 seconds. So that would be the first thing, master your breathing. I would say start with that. I've got loads of resources basically that build on that. The next thing would be looking more at the mental emotional side of things. Sit with yourself and see our experiences, our thoughts, our, uh, our events still having an effect on you. And the way you can think about this is if you drop a stone into a pond, you're going to watch the ripples. So you're going to relax. You can sit down, lie down, stand up, whatever it is, whatever's most relaxing. 
and you're going to bring up a certain event and see what happens. Watch the ripples in your body. And then what you could even try is to speak it, to talk about the injury. I was in a car crash. I saw the car coming towards me, the fear. You go through that and see, can you tell that story almost as a neutral fly on the wall? Or are you still telling that story as the person who lived it and is still living it on some level in their body? So can you say it in a purely calm, matter of fact way, or does it still have power over you? If it does, again, the simple remedy is to write about it. Write, uh, handwrite versus type. Um, just write about whatever happened, the car crash, I saw this, what happened before, I went to the hospital, doctor said this, I was afraid, my mother was crying, whatever it is, even the mundane things, the smell of the disinfectant in the hospital, just write and write and write. You can do it over a couple of days. And that simply helps your, your body to sort of move past it and kind of lay it to rest. Because again, we have that irrational part of our brain that's just going to uh, build a wall around that and kind of put it away and not want to confront it. And through writing, we can help our body move past it. So that, that's sort of more the mental the, side the of writing things. Is, the physical writing, it's as if it's getting it out of the body, isn't it? Getting those thoughts, essentially. I find that personally writing as opposed to typing, mm. it has yeah. a certain effect. Yeah. Whatever... Uh-huh. Thoughts and troubles we carry in our minds is essentially get it out and look at it from a different perspective and you get a different understanding and then you start feeling about it differently. Yeah. And, and you can even move in a way like you can you can kind of think of what what do you feel like that experience is preventing you from doing or, you know, kind of embodying, pushing that experience away or, you know, brushing it off your shoulder or whatever it is. Find whatever that whatever weight that experience has on your body and act out getting rid of it, which again sounds abstract and you might want to do it privately, you know, maybe not in a public place, but it's that can be very, very valuable as well. The the next thing is is a bit harder to do. It's, it's monitoring how much you're eating. And uh, to be honest, I, I, can't, I can't make general recommendations on that. What I would say is Ask yourself why you eat the way you do and really try and disprove it and look up people who disagree with you because chances are you've stumbled upon some method of nutrition or eating or whatever and you are bought in by a few testimonials and a few explanations that sounded authoritative and sounded convincing and you got some initial benefits and you're just in, you're, you haven't really thought about it, which is fair enough. Try to challenge yourself on that look up the people who disagree and at the very least once you see that there are you know millions of people who believe different things and no one seems to agree on one thing maybe accept that maybe you could do something different would you recommend a food diary is in which would enable you to fine tune and identify what's working what's not working the way i do it is i track my body temperature and pulse i generally track a food diary like a my fitness pal and I see trends and I see then with simple journaling, how did I sleep? Was I training the night before? How did I feel or my energy levels like? And you get a sense and you can kind of fine tune things. But I, I would say you need to do that with a professional because you need to know what good temperature and good pulse look like roughly. And you need to fine tune that. So that's why I'd be hesitant to 
um, to give recommendations specifically. Could you give any recommendations regarding water intake? Yeah, water intake is one of those funny ones that it, it, people might actually drink too much water, which might sound like heresy to, to some people listening. Yeah, I, I don't like blanket statements like eight glasses a day because it doesn't consider your effort. It doesn't consider your metabolism. It doesn't consider your muscle mass, your height, your size, the amount of energy expenditure, the amount of sweating. Um, you might need more salt rather than more water, but I can't say. I would. What I've I used to do the whole drinking a lot of water thing. I basically drink all the time because that's the thing you do, and that caused me a lot of issues. And now what I do essentially is I drink whenever I'm thirsty. But I have quite a high fruit diet, so I'm getting water from that. And that's something people don't seem to consider is that their food generally has a lot of water in it, particularly fruits. And even you know, like if you drink coffee, if you drink tea, that's, that's still water largely. Uh, and that's not an endorsement or anything about coffee or tea one way or the other. Would you ever Sorry? monitor it by the color of your urine? As in, we're told that it, the clearer, the better. That if it's dark, that's a sign that you're dehydrated. I don't feel I'm qualified to speak on that. Because again, I think it's one of those arbitrary things. Because there's also the frequency. If, if you're going to the toilet, you know, 10 times a day and it's always clear, that seems to me like you're overhydrating. But that's just my perspective. But you might think that you're cleansing your body. But you might actually be stressing your kidneys and your body might be you know, having a, quite a tough time. But that's when you get into that level, I think you need to really work with someone who can advise you and, and guide you. A specialist in that specific area. Yeah, yeah. And I, I recommend people, I, I refer people out and I'm working with one myself at the moment. So there are plenty of people out there. It's just, I it'd be irresponsible of me to make recommendations. Well, well, please put me in touch with them and I'll interview them next time. Yeah, definitely. definitely. That'd be great. Uh, and yeah. finally, PA, how can people find out about you? So I'm on, I'm on all the usual stuff, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. The best place to find me is either Instagram or Facebook. I've got a newsletter. So my, my website is thebackpaincoach.net. There you can access everything. I've got a lot of free resources. I've got courses on back pain that sort of addresses this more mind-body side of things because I believe that we, we have the structural side of things down. We know how to mobilize and strengthen the back but we need to consider the wider picture, the person who is experiencing back pain. So I've got that on Instagram. It's the back pain coach. Yeah, my newsletter, my newsletter is great. You should, you should uh, sign up. That's on my website and I'm sure we can provide a link. Fantastic. Thanks to PA for a great interview. To find more interviews as well as details regarding TribeShift social events, go to www.tribeshift.com.